0: Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Cory one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Hey, good morning. I'm Jimmy. If you turn with me in Romans uh, chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 9 through 21 this morning. So Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 through 21.
1: Give you a sec to get there.
0: Okay, Romans 12. I'm reading from the ESV. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing of honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I shall repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, let's pray. I'm going to pray from Psalm 145. Verses eight through thirteen. So let's pray with me. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you are good to all, and your mercy is over all that He has made. And all your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. and They shall tell of your power, to make known the children to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm one of uh, your pastors here at Point Church, and uh, I'm honored and uh, so excited to be able to share God's word with you this morning. It's a good one. Romans 12, 9 through 21. Um, Let me ask a few questions before we get started here. Raise your hand if you appreciate the work of a good artist. Yeah? All right. Yeah, me too. Raise your hand if you wish you had more artistic ability. Yes. All right. Good. Now point to somebody that has some artistic ability. Let me see. Oh, I see some pointing, okay. You've just been signed up for the creative uh, arts team at Point Church. You'll need to see Corey uh, after the service. Yeah, so uh, I love some good artwork. Let me ask one more question. Raise your hand if you have ever purchased some artwork. Have you ever purchased maybe a painting or something? Okay, we've got a little culture in here. My hand's up because I, uh, I purchased a caricature of me and Betty at the state fair one year. You know, that's the extent of my... Uh, yeah, okay. I'll have to see if I can dig that up. It's in the attic somewhere. Um, well, y'all, uh, the reason uh, I bring this up is that what we've got here in Romans twelve nine through 21 is Paul with these short, precise brush strokes like an artist. He is painting this picture for us of what it's like To be a living sacrifice. What it's like to live as someone who's being transformed by the renewing of their mind. So he is showing us with expert skill what this ought to look like. As a Christian, as someone who is being transformed by Jesus, surrendering and submitting ourselves to the authority of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit what our life is going to look like as Jesus lives through us. And you guys, a lot of this is going to be about, Corey, he preached about um, you know, Romans 12, 3-8, where we are all members of one body. We've all been entrusted with a gift that we need to use to build up, to contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. And now we're going to kind of get down into some of the individual stuff, right? So we've seen what it's like to be a member of God's body and how the body functions. And now we're going to, Paul is going to talk to us about how we ought to live as individuals in the body of Christ. But what's awesome about this is that when all of these individual pictures of what a life transformed by Christ, when all of those pictures are put together, put together with other pictures, other individuals who are also living this way, the picture, the image is breathtaking. You understand what I'm saying? When the body of Christ, individual members of the body of Christ come together, it is a beautiful sight. We are a community of brothers and sisters in Christ being transformed. So I want to invite you today to surrender your thoughts, your will, your desires to the Word of God, to let God show you how He wants to live through you, and to examine some of these brushstrokes with me. Let's look at the first one right here. Love. Love. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Brothers and sisters, you know, if you've spent any time in church, any time reading Christian literature, reading the Bible, you know that the hallmark of Christianity, of Christians is love. We know that God is love and he is transforming us into people who love God one another the word here is agape all right it's a very it's a term that uh, the christians took up because maybe they were they were not too satisfied with all of the baggage that came with the other words of love at that time so they took up this word agape and they drilled down on it love must be genuine now what's interesting here is that Love is so central to a Christian life that Paul doesn't even command us to love one another. He assumes that as Christians, we know that, right? He doesn't say love one another. He starts telling us what love looks like. And he's saying here that love must be genuine. Genuine. What he's getting at here is sincere, right? No pretenses, but a sincere Love, unfeigned, undisguised, sincere, this is not pretend, this is not show, it's not mere emotion or sentimentalism, this is love, agape love. In essence, Paul is saying, don't pretend to love others, but really love them from your heart. Now, there's a way to do loving things for others, not primarily because you care for them, but either because you love the admiration you get from others when you do loving things. That's not genuine love. That's not agape Christian love. That is doing loving things because You just want so much to be filled up with the approval and the admiration that you see in the faces of others, that you hear in the words of others when you do those loving acts. That is not genuine love. Another reason that we can, another way we can do things, not primarily because we care for people, it's sometimes we do these loving acts for others because really we can't love ourselves unless we do these things. You see, the gospel has not taken root deeply enough in our heart that we know that we are eternally and totally accepted by God, loved and liked by God, not because of our performance, not because of how many loving acts we show to others, but because we are clothed in Jesus's perfection. Now a heart that knows that will love people not so that they can feel good about themselves and so that they can say in their minds, oh, if I, if I don't do these loving things, then I'm not going to be able to sleep, a night, sleep at night. I'm not going to be able to live with myself, much less God is not going to be proud of me. He's not going to like me. That's not genuine love. This love, is not pretend, right? It doesn't have ulterior motives, but this beautiful brushstroke, this love is genuine. It is sincere. Paul says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Abhor, wow, what a word, huh? That's not one that I remember saying the last month, you know? Abhor this means exceedingly hate. To exceedingly hate something, to have a horror of. Now let me ask. Anybody in here despise spiders? I know there's at least one, if Pastor Corey is in the room. Okay. David despise the spider. Anybody hate snakes? Hate snakes. You knew that was coming. I'm glad to see some hands go up. Nobody should like snakes. If you'd like snakes, you're okay. Okay, I won't say Chris likes snakes. All right, what, what do you do when there's a spider and a snake around? Do you flirt with it? No, you get as far away from it as you can. Right, you have a horror of this thing. Now, I'm gonna say, I, I have I know some people that have a horror, they're so afraid of bees. Right, well, you guys, okay. You really shouldn't be horrified of spiders and snakes and bees, okay? All right? They're not going to hurt you that bad, all right? Some might, some might, okay? But there is an unhealthy fear of these things, right? But there is no unhealthy fear and horror of evil and sin. This is an exceeding hate. So, what Paul is telling us here is that. is that this love that is genuine it's 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 sincere it's not pretend and it's also not directionless right we are to love other people but then we are to be repelled by evil to abhor evil to distance ourselves from evil to get as far away from it as we possibly can this is what it means to abhor evil, even to love genuinely. Part of that is to distance yourself from evil. Now, I know that some of you in the room have served at different military bases uh, around the country, around the world. Has anyone ever served at Colorado Springs? Colorado Springs. What is there a military base in Colorado Springs? Carson, Fort Carson, right? There's an Air Force base out there too. All right, well, in Colorado Springs, if I'm not mistaken, that's not too far away from Pikes Peak, right? What I've heard is called America's Mountain. I've also heard, I've never been there myself, but I've also heard that there's a pretty scary highway street going up Pikes Peak, and on some of that, some of that road, they're, they're not guardrails. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're a sane person, only sane people, all right, are able to answer this question, Are you going to get close as you can to the cliff on Pike's Peak when you're flying around there? Or are you going to do, are you going to stay as close to that yellow line as you can if you're on the outside lane? You're going to stay as close to the middle as you can. Folks, this is what it means to live a transformed life, to be a living sacrifice. We don't flirt with evil. We don't flirt with sin, but we get as far away from it as we possibly can, all right? So we are being repelled like two, uh, like opposing poles, right, of the magnets, or similar poles in the magnets, right, from evil, and we are holding fast to what? What does the Scripture say? Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast, this is to cling to, to cleave yourself to, to be grafted Into, right? To join yourself to, to glue yourself together with what is good. Love that is genuine is not directionless, right? But it abhors what is evil and it clings to what is good. This same word can be used to refer to the intimate union between a husband and a wife. Brothers and sisters, point church folks. Do you have an exceeding hate for evil and for sin? Do you hate the evil inside of you? Are you running to Jesus and clinging to what is good? Are you holding it loosely? Genuine love transformed life. loves genuinely abhors what is evil and clings to what is good. Let's look at this next brush stroke in verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brotherly affection. All right, so this love, this word relates to phileo, uh, a different word for love, not agape, and brotherly affection. That is philadelphia. This means to cherish one another, cherish someone as a brother and a sister. Now, we say this a lot at Point Church. We remind you that we have three basic values, right? Family, authenticity, and movement. Folks, we don't want to be acquaintances or strangers that brush shoulders on a Sunday morning. But we want, God wants us to become family. Have brotherly affection for one another. Do you see that developing in your relationships with other people at Point Church? Are you building relationships with other people at Point Church so that you can see them not just as another church member that you don't see between Sundays, right? Or maybe once every other week. But do you have a relationship that is characterized by brotherly affection? This is the transformed life. In Christ, outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. I mean, if there are two things in this passage of Scripture that are so unique, so countercultural, this has got to be one of them, right? This has got to be one of them. Outdo one another in showing honor. This word outdo, it means to go before and lead, to surpass, to overtake, to outdo one another in showing honor. Brothers and sisters, think of all the other things we want to outdo other people in. You can probably name a lot of those, right? What, you, what is your heart? What is your flesh? What are the people around you, people in your family, what are they trying so hard to outdo one another in? Appearance. Beauty right? Material things, our cars, our clothes, our houses, you know, our ranks, our jobs, uh, our number of viewers, right? Our influence, outdoing other people in these things, Our, our golf game, right? Outdoing other people. We've got a lot of people that know how to, I know how to outdo people in things besides showing honor, and we need to leverage that same competitive nature not to flatter one another, but to genuinely show one another honor. Imagine, imagine how sweet it would be if you do not know Jesus and you come into a relationship with someone, not just someone, but with a group of people, maybe at a missional community like Corey was saying, you come into that environment and these people are outdoing one another and showing other people honor. It means that we are, can you imagine how attractive that would be? How even strange that would be, right? For a while, these folks, they might think, whoa, these people are kind of weird, okay? (laughs) These people are kind of weird. But after a while, the other way of living is going to lose its luster, right? And they'll begin to interpret that strangeness, that oddness for God, right? As something different. As something beautiful. As these beautiful brush strokes of a community that is being shaped by the Gospel. Outdo one another in showing honor. Folks, this means that we are eager as Christians to recognize others' strengths. We are eager as Christians to recognize other people's accomplishments. And we are eager to give them credit and to defer to them. To outdo one another in showing honor. The next brush stroke. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Zeal, this is the idea of enthusiasm, right? Great enthusiasm and excitement and determination, pursuit of a cause or an objective. And it it carries with it the idea of haste and, and diligence and that we are striving after this. The word fervent literally means boiling or seething, right? That we are being set on fire. We have a passionate intensity, One um, interpreter says, uh, the way to sum this up is to keep your spirit, keep your enthusiasm for serving the Lord at a boiling point. Keep your enthusiasm for serving the Lord, living as a living sacrifice, keep it at boiling point. Now, one thing I've learned, I I love coffee. And I try to make my own espressos and stuff at the house. Got my little AeroPress and my little pour-over that's got dust on it. I got a couple of Christmases ago. Um, But uh, one thing I understand is that you want to have your water at about 196 degrees uh, if you want to make a good pour-over, a good AeroPress, right? Boiling point, we know it. And I have this kettle that I use to get the water hot. And so you press the power button. You set your temperature. Boiling point would be 212 degrees, right, Fahrenheit. And then it's got this neat little, um, this neat little uh, feature. It's got a hold button because you know you don't want it to get up to 196 or 212, and then it to fall off. You know while you're grinding your beans or whatever, or your kid is crying in the other room. So, folks, what the Lord is saying is press that hold button, right? Allow the Holy Spirit to set you on fire, right, with this enthusiasm for serving Him and stay right there. Boiling point. Keep your fervency, your enthusiasm for what we're doing in this room, for what we do uh, in our missional communities, in our neighborhoods, for what you're doing at work as missionaries. Keep your enthusiasm at boiling point. Now what's interesting here is it's linked to serve the Lord. This enthusiasm is not like a self-centered display, which is what the Corinthians were guilty of, right? But this is an enthusiasm of humble service of the Master. We read in Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Read in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 7, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Folks, we are to enthusiastically use our God-given gifts to serve the Lord and build up God's people. I hope this is something that the Lord drove home into your heart, into your minds last Sunday as Corey spoke. Yesterday, um, we had the opportunity to save the YMCA uh, about $6,000 um, by painting uh, the room that's behind uh, this wall right here, their preschool area. And um, it, was a, it was a lot of fun, right? We had a good time doing it. We learned some things uh, about one another. And uh, we, I think we did a pretty good job over there. But you know, when you, when you recognize... That what you're doing, even painting a room, is something you're doing for the Lord, as a service to the Lord, it changes things, right? It changes your attitude, and it also changes the quality of your work, right? If we had just been painting this room for these strangers that we don't know and their children, well, I mean, the quality, maybe we just just do good enough, Right? But when we realize that as our identity, identity, we are servants of the Lord, and no matter what we do, we are doing it as unto the Lord and not unto men. It changes our attitude. It changes our quality of our work when we are serving the Lord and doing it with enthusiasm. Verse 12. We see here, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Hope, endurance, and prayer are so closely related. Folks, the last couple of years, the words hope, the words trust in the Lord have just been firing off the pages of the Bible for me. Hope in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, right? It's that idea of anticipation. You're you're trusting in the Lord, right? There's tension in the rope right at the point of it snapping, right? You're, you're hoping in the Lord. You're trusting in the Lord. You're, you're like that farmer who's waiting for the rain. They're anticipating the, the, the rain. This hope is not a hope like we use it a lot of times in English, right? Like uh, we're hoping, we're wishing that something will happen without any guarantee. This hope, the hope that we can rejoice in, is a certainty that God will fulfill his promises. So the it's not an issue of will it happen? It's just a matter of when it will happen and we have to wait patiently for it. Patient in tribulation. The Bible is so real, right? The Bible, the authors, the God, he understands the reality. He he came down from heaven Live this life that we live. He knows that while we can be rejoicing in hope, we are still having to be patient in hardship. Patient in tribulation. John 16, 33 says, I have said these things to you so that in me, Jesus says this, you will have peace. In this world, you will have suffering. You will have tribulation." but take heart, be courageous. I have overcome the world. Folks, we can't avoid the tribulation and the hardship that we're going to experience in this world, but we can be patient in it and we can rejoice in a hope. Specifically, the hope of God's promise that He will return and He will make all things new, including us. That when He returns, He will bring peace, he will make all things perfect and peaceful and new. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13 We're urged there, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Aim your heart's hope at the incomparable grace and glory The complete wholeness that awaits this world and all of us as Jesus' disciples when He returns. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. One of my favorite pastors, preachers, Alistair Begg, Helps me understand, helps us understand the relationship between prayer and hope and patience. He says, prayer is the means that God gives, that God has ordained for the supply of grace that is necessary to be joyful in hope and patient in tribulation. Prayer, folks, is that conduit. Are we constant in prayer? Prayer? are we calling on God's power are we calling out to God i am poor and needy God fill my heart with joy because I hope and I trust in you are we constant in prayer verse 13 the next brush stroke contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality hospitality in New Testament times was very very important, right? There weren't a whole lot of hotels. Um, there were not any Airbnbs, all right? Uh, no verbos. Um, so as we have these Christian missionaries and itinerant preachers and, and others traveling from town to town, they needed a place to stay. And a lot of times there was some discrimination even among Christians, right? Or in the direction of Christians by those who perhaps owned these These inns and places that you could stay. So hospitality was very, very important. And it says here to seek hospitality, right? To show hospitality, to seek, to show hospitality. Seek, this means to pursue, right? To chase after, to run after, to seek after after it eagerly earnestly endeavor to show hospitality, to go out of your way, right? To be hospitable, to make your home a hospitable place, to welcome people into your home without wishing you hadn't done it, <laughs> right? Now there's the kicker, right? Genuine love, right? Sometimes we invite people into our home and... Um, we're like, okay, what's the sign that we give them that it's time to go? <laughs> you know, uh, uh, some volunteers that we worked with uh, in Indonesia when we were over there, uh, they were from Kentucky. And they had some. They told us they had some funny ways of uh, telling people um, that it was time to go. And uh, one of them was, you know, if you're the man of the house, you might look at your wife and say to her, well, we ought to get to bed so these people can leave. <laughs> Kentucky people are crazy y'all they're, they're funny they're funny we're pretty funny in North Carolina too we've got some sayings you know we'll say uh, well y'all come on and go with us that means it's time for you to go <laughs> you know if you meet with somebody in the parking lot and you're hungry after church come on and go with us because I'm about to leave <laughs> you know showing hospitality without wishing we hadn't done it genuine love genuine love Now, one thing I want us to notice, listen to to the nature of these words. Love genuinely. Abhor what is evil. Outdo one another in showing honor. Fervent in spirit. Constant in prayer. Bless enemies. Rejoice. Weep. Resist vengeance. Folks, there is an intensity here that God is trying to communicate to us. An intensity, a fire, an enthusiasm that we need to be characterized by when we are living as transformed people, living sacrifices for Jesus. Where does this come from? I can't always just work myself up into a froth like I do my milk for my cappuccino, right? Like, I I don't know where it comes from. All right, well, one interesting thing here is there's. Some ambiguity as to how we ought to translate fervent in spirit. It could be fervent by the Spirit. All right? Both are important. Both are important. Neither are wrong. I think we need both understandings, whether it says it here, we know elsewhere, that the Holy Spirit supplies this fire and enthusiasm in our lives. Full of the Spirit. Set on fire by the Spirit. Maintaining a boiling point in your zeal for the Lord by the Spirit. This enthusiasm, this fire, this intensity, it comes from the Spirit of God and it also comes from the family of God. The family of God. Anybody in here like sold out, die hard, I only cook with charcoal? Anybody like that? Okay, yes, okay, you representing Pastor Corey, that is him, okay, all right? Well, one and he can cook, he can grill some mean chicken, y'all, all right? So um, one of the reasons I'm not big into uh, grilling with charcoal is that I'm lazy, and it's so easy just to switch on that propane, you know, and fire it up. Well, you guys know that if you're going to cook with charcoal, you got to, you got to, Stack it all up, right? In a pile, you've got to set it on fire. And then it's got a light, and once the charcoal and all those briquettes, they get kind of gray, right? Then you spread them out. You spread them out. And you want to spread them out because it distributes the heat, right? That's a beautiful picture of the church. Each of us are a briquette, right? One piece of charcoal. When we get together, we're on fire, folks. We 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 feed off of one another, right? We need one another. But when we take ourselves away from the fire, what happens to that charcoal? It cools off. Folks, this enthusiasm, this intensity, it's fueled by the Spirit of God and by the family of God. Folks, we have opportunities for you to go beyond, yes, worshiping here and feasting together as a family of God on the goodness of God, but we have opportunities for you to become a brother and a sister. To learn to, to, uh, uh, to feed off of other people's fire and enthusiasm in here. And I hope that you'll take advantage of that so that you can experience the fullness of what God wants for us. So, so far, you guys, we have this beautiful picture of a community, right? Of a life lived for Jesus. And all of these pictures individually coming together to create this breathtaking mural of the community of Jesus. And it comes with a temptation, right? It comes with a temptation. The temptation is to, let's just circle the wagons, right? Let's just build a compound, you know? Let's just live among ourselves, right? We're just going to have this commune, right? It's so much easier to live with other people that also want to have genuine love and outdo others by showing honor. But God doesn't let us do that, right? Paul, in this passage of Scripture, he is bouncing uh, between instructions for relating to Christians and instructions for relating to people who do us poorly, who treat us poorly. And that's what we have In verse 14, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. This obviously, Paul is just drawing from what he knows about Jesus teaching Jesus in Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. It's been noted that nowhere in pre-Christian Greek literature do we find the words blessing as a response to cursing or reviling. Folks, this is unique. This is unique as a follower of Christ to bless those who curse you, right? To feed those who oppose you. That's what we read in the second half of the section here. Blessing in scriptures is typically associated with God. He possesses and He dispenses all the blessings. So, to bless one's persecutors is to call on God to bestow His favor upon them. That's hard, folks. That's hard. I said earlier if there are two things that are super countercultural in this text, it's to outdo others in honor and to bless those that curse you. This is is radical stuff. This is intense stuff. And what's even crazier is when you think about the people that Paul is writing to here. Not long after he penned this letter, what was going to happen to some of these Christians in Rome? They were going to meet gladiators in the arena. They were going to be thrown to the lions. This is the degree of the persecution that Christians face. That we need to be prepared to respond to like Jesus. Bless. (laughs) Bless the people that curse us. This is going to require a power that we don't have, folks, on our own. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. This literally means be of the same mind toward one another. We see it several times in this Scripture, right? Renewed by our mind. Being renewed by your mind. Uh, Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think of one another. Don't think of yourself as more highly than you should. Don't think of yourself as wise. And be united in the way you think. We're, We're called here to have harmony because we share a common mindset. The mind of Jesus. And this is harmony's mindset. It's revealed to us in Philippians 2, 2-5. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Romans 15, 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. That, so that together, you may with one voice, right? Unity, sameness, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is harmony's mindset? It's submitting to the authority of God, putting others first, and living, jointly agreeing that we will live for God's glory and not our own. We will have harmony as we have and share the same mindset, and our thoughts share this content. Raise your hand if you're a soccer fan. Any soccer fans in the room? we got a few soccer fans. Um, so who's the big guy, the big name that has come to America now? Messi, Lionel Messi. He came to Miami, right? Um, anybody that's in touch and not living in a hole, right? Don't have their hole in the college football cave, you know? You know that this is a big deal, right? Lionel Messi, seven times he's been uh, voted as the best, uh, soccer player, footballer in the world. It's a big deal. But he's not the only one that's come over to play on Inter-Miami. He's got his buddy Sergio Busquets and his homeboy Jordi Alba. Now the reason David Beckham and other owners of Inter-Miami wanted those three to come, because they're of the same mind. They've got chemistry. And they are crushing it. Miami went from worst to almost first. They won the League's Cup in the Major League Soccer. And it's because of these three guys. They are of the same mind. They've been brought up under the same coach. They're in harmony. This is a picture, folks, of what it looks like to be in relationship with others who believe in Jesus. Now, in Philippians 2 and in Romans 12, Paul commands commands to be unified and harmonious in our mindset um, is followed by a command to be humble. What we're supposed to draw from this is that an enemy of this common mindset and this harmony is pride. He says, don't be haughty. Don't be wise in your own eyes, right? An enemy of this common mindset is pride pride and haughtiness we read in proverbs 18:12 before destruction a man's heart is haughty but before honor comes humility wisdom is usually something we're taught is something we are taught to seek after it becomes a problem when we begin to see ourselves as wise according to our own standard and others as not so wise the weapon against this pride what is it associate with the lowly. Folks, I think we need, to, we need to wield this weapon. Are we associating with the lowly? Now again, there's some ambiguity here. The lowly, does that refer to lowly people? Outcasts? The poor? The incarcerated? Right? Or is it lowly, humble tasks? Right? Cleaning toilets or whatever else. You know? Serving other people. Waiting tables. Whatever it is. Well, again, both are right. Neither are wrong. Together, they give us a full picture, right? Associate with the lowly. A prideful person. The last thing they'll do, right? But this is the antidote. This is a weapon against pride that attacks our unity. Are we associating with the lowly? So this last section here, 17-21, through I'm just going to sum it up by saying respond to evil with kindness and trust in God. Respond to evil with kindness and with trust in God. It says here to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought. This is not just something we wish to do, right? This is not just a a wishful thought and intent, but it's premeditated, right? Give thought to how to do things that are honorable in the sight of all. It takes some time, folks. Right? It takes some time to think about how can I bless this person? How can I show them honor? Give thought. It's planned. It's premeditated. Verse 18 I just want to highlight a few things. If possible, so far as it, you're able, it is up to you, live peaceably with all people. If possible. There are times, folks, when despite all of your patience, all of your blessing, all of your kindness, this person, these people, will not reciprocate that kindness. If possible. Nevertheless, we are to bend every effort, to leverage every resource to be a blessing to others, to give thought to how we can contribute to the needs of the saints, even to bless those who persecute us. And not everyone, folks, is going to agree on the definition of honorable or on the terms of peace, right? So this is where there is a limitation to Just how much peace we can achieve, right? This is where a living sacrifice with a renewing mind is bound by God's definition of good, bound by God's definition of honorable, and bound by God's terms of peace. So this doesn't mean that we seek peace at all costs, right? We will not surrender holiness and truth to achieve peace. But as those bound by the will of God, bound by God's standards, we give serious thought to. We strive to live peaceably with everyone. This is a picture of what it means to be a living sacrifice. The next verse, it makes this distinction for us. We need to make this distinction, right? It's a prohibition against retaliation, against personal vengeance, right? We have to trust that God will mete out justice, right? That God will do justice. We, this is not something that we seek on our own, right? We, we will not seek vengeance. We will not try to avenge ourselves and our hurts. But in Romans 13, when we get through with this next uh, series, we'll see that this is the job of the civil government, right? So there's a distinction we need to make between avenging and enforcing the law as an individual and our role in that and the role of our government. A right response to evil requires trust in God that He will bring justice in His time. Now vengeance, I want us to think about this. Vengeance is not just about like an eye for an eye, right? Not just about punishment, uh, physical punishment, that sort of thing, or um, serving time. But folks, I want us to think, I want us to stretch this a little bit. Uh, You know, based on what we know of Jesus and His character, vengeance can be an attitude of the heart. A cold shoulder can be vengeance. The thought is, well, I'm going to make him pay for what he did to me by being cold toward him or her. By withholding kindness. Withholding patience. Withholding grace. And withholding prayer and blessing. God is telling us that we will not take vengeance even of this kind. But that we will forgive. We will bless those that hurt us. We will love genuinely. Even vengeance like this kind is not becoming a living sacrifice that's being transformed by God. We see in verse 20 something startling. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will... Heap burning coals on his head. They will be overcome with shame and perhaps repent and turn to God. Do not be overcome or conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I started off by asking you about painting, right? Artwork. Raise your hand if you've ever seen speed painting. Anybody ever seen speed painting? That was like a big thing 15 years ago. So you get somebody up there, an artist who's got this giant canvas. They'll put on some music. They'll try to pump up the crowd. And they've got five or six brushes in their hands, right? And they're just making these marks, these brush strokes, all over this canvas, okay? They do this for about two minutes, right? You have no idea what it is. They turn it upside down, and it's like a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. or something. And you're like, what? Where did that come from, right? So folks... What is Paul really painting a picture of here? Is it a picture of a beautiful community? Absolutely. Absolutely. But there's another effect going on here to, to Paul's, Paul's artwork. It's almost like one of those holograms. You see, we were at the Ashborough Zoo, North Carolina Zoo, and as we walked through the seal exhibit, we walked by this hologram, and when you're at this angle... You see that it's uh, I don't know uh, seals, and then on the other side, you know, it's something like a, a I don't know what else, you know, North Carolina Zoo or something like that. You know, so uh, when we look at this 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 painting that Paul has has uh, has painted for us, this picture that Paul has painted for us, yes, from one angle, we see we see that this is about community, this is about an individual, but folks, when we look at it from another angle, we see. We see the face of Jesus. This is is a picture of Jesus. No one lived out this love, this kind of life, perfectly like Jesus did. So when we behold this, we see a beautiful life. We see a beautiful community. But what we see is Jesus living through us. We see Jesus in us and Jesus in one another. So as we stand back and we look at at this image, what we're really seeing is a face of Jesus. And it's only Jesus in you that can live this kind of life through you. So folks, I don't want you to get overwhelmed. I don't want your bootstraps Christianity to be triggered, right? Uh, Bootstraps Christianity says when I read these beautiful things about love, well, it's time for me to pick myself up by my bootstraps, right? I'm gonna turn over a leaf. This is not a leaf-turning sermon, okay? All right. This is a fly to Jesus sermon, a fall on Jesus sermon and say, Jesus, live this life through me, Jesus. I cannot do this. Outdo others in showing honor? Never done that. I don't know what, I don't know what that feels like. Bless those who persecute me. Come on. Jesus, I need you to live this life. Through me. These are not things Jesus wants us to do for Him. These are things Jesus in us wants to live through us. Romans 5.5 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Folks, what we read here is an overflow of Jesus' Spirit in us. God's love has been poured into us. And the overflow is what we read in Romans 12, 9-21. Does anybody else want to be filled up with God's love? Filled up with the Holy Spirit? I mean, the relevance, there's so much relevance to this, right? We talked about our unity, but there's relevance even in our mission. In our mission together, we're told that people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. We talk about inviting people into our missional communities, into these spaces where we're relating and loving and, and eating and studying the Bible. This has so much relevance for our Success in the mission that God has given us. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to stand and we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just this beautiful picture that you have painted for us in so many strokes. And God, we pray that this will become a reality in our lives. But God, we are desperate to have Your love fill us up to overflowing. God, the thought of trying to live like this in our own strength is just overwhelming. And God, You never intend it. You never intend us to live this way in our own strength. So God, we pray that Your love would overflow in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, as we sing here, I know there's probably one or two brushstrokes that really just flew off the page for us. I pray that you'll take those to Jesus while we sing, asking Jesus to transform you into that kind of living sacrifice. My other challenge is that you'll share that with two people. What are the brushstrokes where you want to grow and have Jesus overflow uh, out of you share that with your spouse, share that with a friend share that with a brother or a sister in your missional community All right, let's sing together
0: thank you for listening to this week's teaching if you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live thank you